If you're not there, if you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, 25. I'm going to say a brand name or a popular trademark, and I want you to answer with one word, what does that business represent? Okay? Starbucks. Coffee. My audience is nailing it. Ford. Cars or trucks. Okay? Rolex. Watches. You know, I should say, because we have in our great audience of five, two, so I'm going to, forgive me, Philadelphia Eagle fans, Detroit Lions. Yeah, there's, there's a question. What is it that they do? Um, it's football, supposedly. Okay, you ready? What about the word church? What does the church do? You know, you guys are quiet. You know, so, okay, we preach the gospel. Um, that's more than just evangelism and sanctification. What's the responsibility of the church? Worship, um, evangelism, preaching the gospel. We're going to look at tonight, and I hope to, to make a case that I believe the purpose of the church, the main business, as we'll see in Colossians chapter 128, is two words put together, disciple-making. I think Robbie Gallanty nails it when he says, obviously it's all about Jesus, but the work he gave his life to, the business of the church, is to make disciples. You see, if we pursue discipleship, then every other discipline will fall into place. We will be impacted um, by every other if we follow discipleship. And our lives of our church will be so different. So if I were to put together a big idea of what I'm after, present every individual complete in Christ. We're going to see this in verse 28, and that's not just Paul saying what he and his team are doing. And hopefully we'll break that down and be able to, to see that. Let me look at this as a unit. As we step into chapter 125 through, through um, 5 of chapter 2, we need to just briefly step back into the context. And we'll just take a couple seconds here because Paul from chapter 1, verses 3 through 23, he's had one theme. And we looked at that some weeks ago in verse 9 and 10. And that theme is to walk worthy to please the Lord. And so that, that's what this whole passage is, is zooming in on and emphasizing. And then to help us in that goal and that purpose, he then got into that great Christological passage in verses 15 to 20. And that confession of who Christ is. Of based on who Christ is and what he's done for us, we ought to walk worthily of him. And then we just flow right into our passage that we are on now, and we're looking at this purpose that Paul is after in light of walking worthily, in light of pleasing him. He's talking about the purpose of the church, and he gets into verse 28, and that purpose is specifically to present everyone mature, to present everyone complete in Christ. But before we get into uh, verse by verse, mainly verse 28. Can I give you just some structural markers that various authors zeroed in on and some of that I looked at as I, I translated these verses? You're going to see that, first of all, there's a recurrence. If I, if I may say, it's a paragraph together, but 24 to 29 is, is really one subsection and thus what we'll call the purpose. And then in verses 1 to 5 is another subsection. And that's Paul's path to accomplish the purpose that God gave him. And locally in Colossae, what that looked like. So, but we look at in the first subsection and the second subsection, looking at them together, there is a recurrence of the words rejoicing and flesh. 
In verse 24, first subsection, and verse 5 of chapter 2, the second one, you'll see each of them. And some would call that an inclusio. That's your bracketing or framing out of this passage. And so it's framed down on each end, almost seeming to push us to the center. And then verses, um, again, 24 to 29 and the second subsection, you'll see the word mystery repeated three times. Twice in the first subsection in verses 26 and 27, and then third time in verse 2 of chapter 2. So there's an emphasis on mystery. So again, seemingly pushing us, I believe, to the center. Then there's a third breakdown or or a, a marker, and we see the word struggle is used in verses, verse 29 and the second subsection, chapter 2, verse 1. So Paul is struggling to present everyone mature in Christ. That's what he's after here. And I want to make an important note that we'll look at it, but I can't wait to say it right now. As we look in chapter 1, verse 28, the we, Paul is struggling to present everyone mature in Christ, but he's not just talking about himself. He's not just talking about his team. It's far broader than that, and we'll get into that in a moment. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my suffering. So Paul is expanding really on what he talked previously, on what he hit um, as far as his um, being a servant of Christ. He says, of which, in verse 23, I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul is explaining that he became a minister in proclaiming the gospel, and he flows right into it. He says, and I'm rejoicing in that, and I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. He says, I'm suffering for you. By the way, he's just fulfilling what he encouraged the church in in, um, Colossae to do in verses 11 and 12. He told them to give thanks back when you suffer, when you are, are, are going through some difficult times, when you have to endure, to be able to give, to patiently giving thanks. And so Paul is just fleshing out that example. But he says a, a unique phrase that I only want to spend a minute in this or so. He says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. What, what in the world is Paul talking about? Filling up something that, that Christ is lacking? First, I believe it's very fair um, to see and to state that Paul is not stating here that Christ was insufficient in what he accomplished for us on the cross, that he has to come along and help God because he's slammed that theme home in verse 19 of chapter 1 and here in 2.9 of who Christ is or um, that, that Christ doesn't need our help, that Christ doesn't need any of, of our assistance. So that, that's clear that he can accomplish everything. And if Paul were saying that, that he needed help, then why is he arguing against the false teachers that claim that Christ is less and accomplished less than what the gospel teaches. So what are these afflictions? I think the afflictions, as we look here in 24, Paul's saying Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. So he's not talking about his physical body here. He's talking about the church body, the corporate body. So he's explaining that his flesh is filling up sufferings for the church, for the body, the church body. So he's referring to as a fellow member of God's new covenant people, as a fellow member of this group of people that God's put together, the church, that he is an individual that's enduring trials, which is patterned after Christ. He's enduring hardships happily for the sake of the gospel and for fulfilling what was foretold telling that you will suffer for my sake, that they will hate you, that they will do this thinking they're doing it to me. 
So Paul is fulfilling those afflictions that are lacking or what was foretold in his body, in his life, on behalf of Christ. But it's for the purpose, for the purpose of the church. So he's being a faithful witness. He's enduring much for one purpose, that I want to cause others to become mature in Christ. He's driven in that. I, I wish our pastor had mentioned it um, to me a week or so ago. What a passage in cruciform living. And I wish we could chase that down fully, but that is so true. Here is Paul in this whole cruciform, and, which really means the shape of a cross. Paul was so influenced by the cross in his life that he fleshed out the cross, the shape of the cross in his life. He just lived sacrificially for other people. He is saying, I'm going to rejoice in my sufferings. I'm going to rejoice in my hardships. I'm going to rejoice in any difficulties that I may have because I want to advance the gospel. I want to advance Christ. Because he loved God vertically, it was easy horizontally to flesh that out in loving people. So maybe you could just make a little side note and pray through this. Maybe this could be your devotions tomorrow morning as you look back over this passage and ask this question. How are you doing in living a cruciform life? How are you doing in living a life that sacrifices your dreams, your desires, your yearnings for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel? And that doesn't really have any age barriers. As a young man, as a young person, are you sacrificing? Is it, is it predominantly to, to pursue Christ? Or is it a retired person? Is it all about you? Or is it how now can you use your time full time to advance the kingdom of God? A cruciform life. But I want to get to 28. Moving on to 25, Paul, Paul says, of which I became a minister. Um, verse 23, he talked about servant. Here he's talking about servant, diakonos. He was a servant of the church. And Paul is, is just stressing here that as, a, as a servant by the sovereign call of God. God called him. He had, and he used, says the word stewardship. According to this sovereign call in my life, God has made me a steward. God has made me, if you please, a, a manager of what he has entrusted to me. Um, you're, I'm sure, pretty familiar with a steward. Was a person that was given oversight of, of, of a, another person's business or his household and running it. He was the manager. All was under his care, kind of like Joseph with um, in Potiphar's household, everything is placed in his care and he used to run the operation so the owner could go do whatever um, owners do in those situations. Well, Paul says, I am a steward of all that God has entrusted to me. But look what he's a steward of. To make the word of God fully known. And it's going to explode here in a moment. He says, but I'm a steward. I'm a manager that God gave to me and I want to, I want to make the word of God fully known. So Paul is not simply aiming to fill his audience with, with words about God or the word of God just for the sake of filling them. You know, like if you've ever taken a college course and there are some courses that you're taking in your general studies and undergraduate level that you just say, this has no bearing on my, on my major. This is just not going to help me. You know, but it's just the kind of thing that they put in there, fluff that to make you a well-rounded student. But you know it's not going to help. That is not what Paul's talking about here. He is not talking about just giving them fully the word of God because it's not going to have any, it's going to have bearing. And he's about to just explode on the scene of what he's calling them to do in verse 28. But he says here that he is, he wants to fully make the word of God known. 
It's, it's two T's. You ready? He wants transformation, transformation, and transmission. He wants to see lives changed. He wants to see the word of God given and then to be transmitted and passed on to others. Verses 26 and 27. He says, the mystery hidden for ages. We're not going to get into mystery that Daniel talked about in Daniel 2, but here Paul's in line with the prophets and with Daniel and others when talking about mystery. Mystery is something, you know, that, that was hidden previously but now is made known. You know, you might look and say, well, this is a real mystery to me. This is baffling. That's, that's not the same idea. Here he's talking about something that was previously hidden but now is made known. And it's specifically the contents in these ver- verses is the word of God. The mystery hidden for ages but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known. God has revealed it to them. God has pulled aside the curtains. God is not you know, performing something that he's, his arm's being twisted on. This is not some historical accident. God ordained it. God planned this. Well, what is God planning? It's exactly this mystery that he's getting to that he is planning for Gentiles to be included into the family of God. Gentiles to be included in the church of God. Look what he says. The riches of the, of the glory of the mystery. He says, how great among the Gentiles. You Gentiles, that's a subject. And that's huge because we're going to pick up the Gentiles with the we in verse 28 in a moment. But he says, I'm speaking to all of you Gentiles. And there's something very special. The riches of his glory. The riches of what he's done for you. The mystery. And here's the mystery. You ready? The mystery is Christ in you. You Gentiles aren't to be left on the outside. You Gentiles are brought in. You Gentiles are included in God's family here. God has a purpose and he's bringing you together. What an awesome challenge. What an awesome statement that the mystery, the Gentiles is not just a Jewish gospel that they're included in and God is bringing them into into his family. When we think about that incredible truth that that you, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior, you have been brought into the family of God. So what? That so what is a foolish statement because there's an incredible so what. God has changed all of our eternity because of what he has done. God has changed everything that we now belong to Christ, that Christ, Christ is in us. That ought to motivate us. That ought to move us by the changes that we come about. A book that I've been reading that is, that is really so powerful. I got to really cut this short, but Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China. Um, listen to some of the words that he states. Well, do I remember that occasion, how in the gladness, gladness of my heart, I poured out my soul before God and again confessing my grateful love to him who had done everything for me, who had saved me when I had given up all hope and even desire for salvation. I besought him to give me some work for him as an outlet for love and gratitude, some self-denying service, no matter what it might be, however trying or however trivial, something with which he would be pleased that I might do for him who had done so much for me. What awesome words. It would be those words and it would be that heart that would drive him to China. I mean, what a, what a fascinating journey. It's incredible what I'm reading. But here's a man that is so moved over the so what that Christ is in me. What can I now do for God? That's where we come to you and your part. 
verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The response of this mind-boggling, stunning truth that Christ is in you is to do what? Is to proclaim him. Paul shouts forth, he says, that we may present, or him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. We must proclaim him. We must share. We must declare all that he has done. Look in verses 24 and 25 just briefly. There are first-person singular verbs that are used. Okay? And then in verse 29, when it follows, there is a first-person singular verb that's used. But it changes in verse 28. Used to say to my girls when I was excited over something or something really special, I would say, This is huge. Okay? This is this is really huge right here. Because there's a change. Paul was saying, I, 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 but now he pulls in them. He's pulling in the Gentiles. Back from verse 27, and he's stating something to them. He's stating something about we. Look in verse 28. Everyone, everyone, all, and everyone. Same Greek word used four times. Pass. Everyone, everyone, everyone. So he's talking to the Gentiles and he's saying something about what everyone, every believer has a responsibility to do. And then then he stresses with all wisdom. So he's stressing something that there is a responsibility that every child of God has, that we all have a responsibility. And this implication has My friends, may it have eternal impacts. May it change our lives now, what we are to do now. He says, we present everyone. We are to proclaim, warning, teaching everyone. Why? That we may present everyone purpose, everyone mature, perfect in Christ. Let me come back to that in a moment. Um, Look at verse 28. He says, warning and teaching. I'm not sure the distinction in these two words are so synonymous, so overlapping. Warning, we think of like there's a danger ahead, there's instruct and admonish, but it's used in Romans 15 verse 14, mutual encouragement. So it's the idea, it doesn't have to be a warning, it could be mutual encouragement that we're getting involved, we're encouraging one another in our lives. Then we see the word teaching. Paul is stressing teaching and admonishing together here. Um, Teaching is also used in chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. When he says, as you have been taught in Christ. So teaching, as you have been taught, as you have learned. So there is emphasis placed on people that are proclaiming, people that are warning, people that are, that are teaching one another. Present everyone mature in Christ. So what is our admonishing to do? What is our teaching to do? We are to admonish, we are to teach that. Um, that's a purpose clause in the Greek. It could maybe better be translated in order that. So I am to warn everyone or teach everyone. I am to proclaim the gospel. I am to teach people. I am to ex- encourage people. I am to admonish people for what purpose? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Are we all together on this? We're, go- we're about to get to a little bit more practical part in just a minute here. But I just want us to see he's stressing more than just his team involvement and we are to be involved in teaching. We are to be involved in in, um, warning, admonishing, 
with all wisdom for what purpose? In order that, that word that, that's, that's a purpose, in order that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I'm going to skip my next point here. Um, it just is Paul's path to accomplishing this goal, and you could read that out later um, if you want, but I want to circle back to, to verse 28. Stay in verse 28. Here's a question. How does maturity happen? Paul is saying here that, that we're to be involved in, in helping others to mature. May I make a statement here, and I want to back it up with some personal experience in a moment. I, I believe Galaxy's right when he says in his book that Christianity is in a discipleship crisis. Let me say that again. Christianity is in a discipleship crisis. Here's his paragraph or the sentence behind me of what discipleship is. Um, and I think he wrote it well. It's intentionally equipping believers. Okay, intentionally. Not just something that we're hoping to happen, but intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships where there are relationships where we're getting involved in the everyone, one another's lives, that we're empowered not by what we know and by selfish fleshly energy, but by the Holy Spirit for the purpose to replicate to repeat followers of Jesus Christ. I um, chose not to use some of LifeWay's statistics that bear out like 85% of churches have no discipleship plan. Um, by opting to, to talk about um, my church experience and the couple churches that I've been involved in. You know, I was with Parsippany Baptist three and a half years during seminary and then four years as a youth pastor. Um, and then I was with Long Island on Long Island for tw one month short of 20 years. And then in Michigan, we're, we're blessed to meet my son-in-law and his family. Um, actually, he became my son-in-law. I didn't meet him at that, at that point. <laughs> He's here. That's why I say that. Um, but, you know, each one of those churches, we didn't have a discipleship pathway um, set up, nor when I left was there one set up, um, and I take the blame for that. Maybe not so much in Parsippany, um, but I do for the next two churches that I didn't leave with a pathway, with something set up. This is how we're going to disciple people. I'm not anxious to defend myself, but just to give a fuller equation. I was diligent on evangelism. Um, I don't know how many people I've trained in evangelism explosion. Um, 60, 70, 80 people. But you know what? That's half the equation. Sharing the gospel, but it shouldn't end there. Also, it should continue by discipling. So I would spend nine lessons that I wrote, um, three, maybe four months with a person. Um, with my friend Jason, we took a year. Um, but I would spend a block of time and then what? You know, to come to church, um, get involved in a small group, um, have your devotions. See, there has to be a better pathway than that. And I didn't have it. You know, by not training disciples, by not training people to be disciple makers, you know what we're really creating? What is it we're creating? By us not helping people to become a disciple maker, we're creating consumers. Am I right on that? We're creating consumers. Let me give you an uh, illustration. Consumers versus co-workers. A consumer is a spectator. A co-worker is a participant. A consumer shows up late to the service. A co-worker arrives early to help. 
A consumer criticizes everything that doesn't line up with his or her preferences. A co-worker appreciates what God is doing in the church. A consumer comes to sit and get. A co-worker looks to go and serve. A consumer asks, what's in it for me? A co-worker asks, what's in it for you? A consumer sees himself as a cistern to store truth. A co-worker sees himself as a channel to bestow blessings. So how do we go from consumers to co-workers? Let me just go back a moment, look at some of the verses that we've looked over the, over the past. At the heart of discipleship is what? Don't answer it, but what would you say at the heart of discipleship is blank, blank. Besides, I read the book, I know the answers. No, this book. <laughs> the heart of discipleship is Bible engagement. That has got to be the heart of it. And that's exactly what happens in this, in this chapter. Paul has been stressing that in chapter 1, verse 5. The word of truth, the gospel. Verse 9, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit and increasing. Verse 25, make the word of God fully known. Verses 26, 27, and 2, 2, the word mystery. We must each apply or read the word of God and apply the word of God to our lives so that we are in a position to be involved in one another's lives so that we are in a position to be able to speak truth, that we're able to, not in a haughty manner, but a humble, godly manner that just yearns to see our, our fellow Christians walk and pursue God, that we're in a position to warn and to admonish or to admonish and to teach, to help this in our church. There's a small movement that's beginning, and some of you are part of my um, end of August. We're going to be getting together and lay out as I'm praying to start a second group. But really, if I, I may say, it was, and I, I'm blessed for maybe one or two reasons to be here with Pastor Walker and to know him. Um, but truly, one of the greatest blessings was the discipleship. And he told me about the model that he had and the labs. And he and I have continued working on that. And, and there's been adjustments um, that he's made and, and, and things that I'm doing. And this is what it looks like in the present format. And really, it's Colossians 128 is the heart of it. We ask people if they would partner with us for three or four, three or four um, individuals to partner with us for a year. And we ask for a commitment every week we're going to get together. And as we get together each week for about an hour or might be a few minutes longer, and we give them assignments. It's not just enough to, to come. It's not a lab that we're looking to have them just come like little robbers with their mouth open as we drop worms in there. Uh, we want them to be involved in sharing. We even want them to be leading some of it as the months proceed. And so there's a discipleship journal that we have bought them. What I'm using in my group is the Discipleship Journal Replicate puts out, and we're going through Matthew, um, through Revelation, the New Testament, and we take a chapter a day, and it goes by the here approach, here, H-E-A-R. We highlight the passage, so it's, let's say it's Matthew chapter 1, and you chose Matthew verse 18, so you would write out the verse there under the highlight, and then the E's were explaining, explain the verses before and after, what's, what's, what's flowing in this passage, and then the A is applied, I want to apply it to my life, as I apply it to my life, and um, where I could bring changes, and I write respond down, this is how I'm going to respond. And so we asked the guys to come together, having done that, and I'm going to, I asked them, okay, Frank, you do, um, you take a day here, and you, Conrad, let me hear what you do next on you, and I'm going to, pretty soon I'm going to say, I want to hear what you did on Thursday from Mark chapter 10. 
um, that I'm going to choose, choose a chapter. But we're accountable to one another that we're truly digging in and hearing the life changes that are coming about as they're sharing. Um, then we'll take time and we'll recite a memory verse together. And we're, my group is memorizing Ephesians chapter 1. And as we recite that verse... Um, Maybe we'll even talk about how precious and how special that verse is. Then we'll have a time of transparency. Um, there are no questions that cannot be asked. Um, the guys are very transparent, but we understand what's shared in the group stays in the group. Um, it's not to be broadcast. We're not going to talk about it outside of it. Um, and some of the advantages that I want to work through qu- just briefly in a little subtitle called Marks here, um, just to give you a a blueprint, and then I just want to personally share one more challenge why I'm even motivated more aggressively that, that I pray I don't forget this. Um, Marks, missional. So in this D group, we come together. And by the way, can, can I just pause for a moment? God, God has an awesome purpose. He wants the church to gather. We are to gather for Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. That's a high emphasis. But, but, that's not going to be the only part for discipleship making. I believe that's a good beginning, but getting in our D groups and speaking the truth, maybe even talking, taking a sermon that we heard and and how that applies to our life, that's getting more personal and pushing each other towards applying truth and putting it into action. Missional. One of the purposes of our D group we want guys to be missional, on mission. Jesus was on mission, and our intention as we get together, we want to live intentionally every day looking for divine appointments. This past, Wednesday, this past Tuesday, I got together with our guys, and I'm just in a habit of saying it, but I think there's more than, than even this pandemic. I says, okay, guys, how did we live on mission? How were we intentional in creating relationships this past week? And Exxon Juice says, well, it's kind of hard right now. You know, we're not able to get around and see people a lot, but, but I so appreciate his heart in saying that because he's a man that's on mission. We hear about that all the time with people with whom that he works when he's driving um, his bus. Um, but we want to live intentionally, push one another in our groups, be on mission, we're to take the gospel. Don't expect unsaved people to come here. We're to go out there to them and take the gospel to them. So that's being on mission. Um, second is accountability. Um, the sweetness of our D groups is that we are comfortable to open up our lives and things that I've shared that the whole church doesn't know, but my guys know and they have my back and confidence and, and, and heartaches and, and prayer requests that we pour out to one another when we have a few friends that are able to hold us accountable and help us in our, in our Christian walk. This truth, I, I didn't want to be reminded of it, but it was reminded to me powerfully in, in a recent event in my life about a month ago. I received news of a, a man that was very precious to me and to my family um, that suddenly tragically passed away. Um, let me tell you about his story. If I may, I'll call his name um, Harry. Harry came to America um, to live with his cousin in, in um, the Bronx. And he gave him his money, and his cousin, after a month or two, wasn't supplying food. Harry ended up on the streets of New York City, homeless for 10 years. Um, he was a big man, well-built, strong man, um, on the streets of New York City for 10 years. Um, got involved in drugs and wickedness that, that he wasn't proud of. But let me jump forward. One day he hears, he has an invite from a young lady um, to go to the Bowery Mission um, for food. And he just wanted the meal because he was hungry. 
He went, went back another time or two, and the gospel just made a penetration into Harry's life. And um, Harry accepted Jesus Christ as his savior, um, agreed to be in their discipleship program above the Bowery Mission. You're locked down for a year. Um, the guys could sit on the doorstep with the door open. Um, I was there a few times visiting my friend Harry um, after he had gone on to get his degree in counseling and was the counselor, eventually would become the lead counselor at the Bowery Mission. Um, I would connect with, um, with Harry when he came out to our church on Long Island. This is years after he was saved when he was already a counselor there. Um, got involved in our church. Uh, my daughter Katie said probably the best Sunday school teacher she ever had. He was just incredible. He had the way that he had. We would have kids in our day camp come from all over America. Um, Minnesota, um, Chicago, uh, Maryland, and they would work in our day camp on Long Island. And the highlight for them often was or one of the highlights besides day camp is the, the meal that they would have at, at Harry's yard and how he would just share the gospel passionately and encourage these kids in his fascinating story. You know, I would say to him, you know, Harry, share, the, share how you came to know Christ. And he would sometimes say, well, you know, when I was on a safari, my parents were missionaries in Africa, and that he would just bust up laughing because that wasn't quite how it happened. Um, well, Harry... After I had moved to Michigan, got involved. He, I remember him saying, you know, the smell of drugs every day just torments me. Um, he got involved back in drugs again, and um, his life tragically ended a month ago. Well, why do I tell you all of this? What would have been different if accountability was in focus? I, I feel that I failed my dear friend Harry because I didn't have a D group. What if we had a D group? What if Harry had been one of the men in my D group? Oh, I, I mean, he was a leader. But, but leaders need encouraging too. What if two men besides Harry would have been part of that? What if Harry would have started to lead a D group and other guys would have been connected and he's close with? Got to a point where you just feel like you're isolated and there's no way out of it. But there was a way out. And accountability produces that. You see, D groups, being on mission, being accountable is a powerful way. And just to finish, um, repro reproducible. Um, you know the first step of a person to make disciples? You know what the first step has to be? What's the first step to make disciples? I'm almost done, I'm sorry. It's to repent that you didn't make disciples up to that point. Say, so God, forgive me. Um, God, I want to make disciples. Whether... Um, 35, 25, 15, or 62, or 75, may it never end. God, give me, a, give me men, give me, or if you're a woman, give me, you, you would say, give your women, women that you can impact their lives. Well, communal. Um, part of a benefit of being in a, in a D group is that we believe, I want to say, I want to be careful to say it's impossible. I want to come real close to that, though. It is almost impossible to be a follower of Jesus Christ apart from a community of faith. I think to go on your own is so incredible. And even in a, in a giant like Hudson Taylor, I'm reading his journal and how he's yearning for fellowship. He's yearning for people to speak in his, in his sisters and his mo godly mothers, that influence. But he needs people there in China. 
that people need people to speak into their lives. Colossians 1.28 says that. Hebrews 10.24 and 25 says this. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. It calls us not to be an island, but to be a community involved in one another's lives. And then scriptural. You know, D groups has to be scriptural. We're blessed to have them scriptural. We want to get into the word of God. We want the word of God to get into us. So we get into the word so the word could get into us. Colossians 1.28, the purpose that we, we, it is your responsibility. Um, it's not some super deacon's responsibility. It's not some professional staff's responsibility. It is every believer in Jesus Christ, every follower of Jesus Christ, it is each of our responsibility to present others mature in Christ. So how are you doing in fulfilling that? How are you doing in fulfilling? Who is your disciple that you've impacted? Can you give me somebody in the last 40 years? May we impact people to be followers of Jesus Christ Please pray about being a part of a D group in our church. Um, we're having people asking, and that's a sweet thing. I can't wait to see in a couple of years what God's going to do here. Let me ask you, if I was to put this slide up, what's the answer? What's the main business of the church? Disciple making. God, we, we thank you for your word. God, thank you that we have it as our guide that, Lord, we don't have to blow it our whole life. That, Father, your word shines light to our path. That, Father, your word, though it may be godly hearts, brings something that maybe we've missed and how we could be more diligent and effective for you. God, I pray for Faith Baptist Church and I pray for other sister churches that you would raise up a host of people that are lovingly pushing each other in the kingdom, that, God, we're challenging one another to be true followers of Jesus Christ, to get into the word of God and to live it out, to bring change in our homes, change in our neighborhoods, change amongst our children. Father, may your word be the guide. May the Spirit of God guide us by using the word in our lives. We pray for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.